Am I the only one that found it weird that the charming, handsome 43-year-old man was hitting on the high school girl? All right, well, here we are, ladies and gentlemen, in the Halloween spirit. That's right. I'm here. I'm ready. I'm excited. We're talking Fright Night, and uh, i got to be honest with you. This is definitely a little bit out of the ordinary for me and what I'm doing over here with the Real Quick Pod, but i got to be honest with you. I am so excited to talk about Fright Night. Fright Night is one of those movies that I could do a Real Quick Pod on. I could do a bonus pod on. I could do a full episode on. And I almost feel like Fright Night's just one of those long time in the makings because it's a movie that I like to try to watch every year. In fact, you know, I started to think about this. We've, we've talked a lot of vampires over on the Science Fiction Film Podcast. We had a month there where we did three in a row. I think we did Near Dark, Bram Stoker's an interview. And I'm sure Fright Night came up, but I started thinking back on that about Fright Night and, and how would I rank it? You know, it's a classic 80s vampire picture. And it is near and dear to my heart. And I don't even... I've I've thought a lot about this. I'm not even sure why. I've never sat down to vocalize my thoughts on Fright Night. I've only ever just said to people who've seen it or not, I've said, Fright Night is awesome. And they go, yeah, it's awesome. Or they go, oh, I haven't seen it. I go, oh, you have to see it. It's really awesome. How come? Ah, it just is. So the idea of sitting down to talk about it for 30 minutes, which is what I'm supposed to be doing anyway, was a bit daunting because I'd never really sat down. I didn't, I didn't write out a treatment of what I wanted to say. I didn't sit down and jot down bullet points. I don't really have a particular direction where I want to take this episode because it's a little bit different, right? I've seen it many times. Um, it's a pod, it's a, it's a, it's a film that I'm not just coming off of a fresh watch and seeing things I'd never seen for the first time. I've seen this movie many, many times. When I was younger, I had a bunch of friends over for a, birth, for a birthday, like hangout, sleepover. And uh, we were young, man. And I think we were going to watch Fright Night 1 and 2 and play D&D or some shit. And uh, I, I very have very fond memories of renting this movie and watching it for the first time. Because I would not have seen this in the theater. I saw this when I was probably 14, 15, somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, So it had been out on VHS for a while. I probably rented it from Blockbuster or I probably rented it from a mom and pop's video store. I couldn't tell you. I think it was Hollywood Video or something like that. I don't know. But I remember renting this and and maybe the second one, the same, this for the same birthday thing I had going on. Just a bunch of nerds sitting around watching Fright Night and geeking out with the lights low and stuff. And, you know, I I thought, I, 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 I think about this movie quite a bit, and I think about the vampire genre just in general, you know? It, it is, it's funny, we just covered Blade on the Science Fiction Film Podcast, which of course is a movie about a day-walking vampire that is a vampire hunter that hunts down and slays vampires. And, uh, you know, Matthew loves the vampires in that in that film, and I think they're okay. You know, I, I definitely like Blade a lot. I, I'm a big Snipes fan. Uh, you can obviously listen to that podcast. I'm not going to get into that here, but they, uh, they, there's no, you never really feel like you're watching a vampire picture and to use the fancy word picture, you never really feel like you're watching a vampire film. You feel like 
in my opinion, while you're watching Blade, that you're watching very much an action comic film, uh, action comic book film, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But it doesn't feel like a vampire tale in the traditional sense, which is what Fright Night is. Now, of course, Fright Night does borrow a lot from Dracula, you would say, with the when um, when Jerry Dandridge, Dandridge looks upon Amy Peterson for the first time. He notes that she looks similar, obviously, to someone in his past, which is very much the Dracula-Mina connection. Uh, that's something that they gave homage to in this film. And um, but, but my point is that it doesn't... Blade felt like a very different movie than, than Interview. Like, you wouldn't... I wouldn't put Blade in the same category... And I don't mean of quality, but just if I want, if I needed to categorize vampire films, I wouldn't probably put Blade with Interview. I wouldn't put Blade with Fright Night. I wouldn't put Blade with Near Dark. I wouldn't put Blade with Interview, Dracula, Bram Stoker's, all that shit. Those would be together, whereas Blade would not. Um, and that's, again, that's not a quality statement. That's just a categorical statement. But I do like this movie a lot. I would say I love this movie. So spoiler, before we even get to the end of this recording, I love this movie, okay? If, if we're to apply our LSG Media scale, which is hate it, didn't like it, like it, loved it, I love this movie. Is it the best movie I've ever seen? Of course not. But it's so enjoyable to watch. It's just a fun movie to watch. And a lot of that comes down to the casts, the music, the way it just pulls you into the story. This is very much a turn the lights down, sit together under the blankets, and just enjoy what is a pretty campy and fun, at times a little bit scary, but not really, um, at times sexy, but not over-the-top vampire movie. And that's what you're getting here. It, it It sticks to what it sets out to do, and I think that it should be applauded for that. It maintains the course it sets out. It never gets too bananas with it, with jumping the shark. I mean, it's there's a little goofiness with some bat wrestling at the end. Eh, that's 1985 for you, though. So I don't want to uh, discount it. To, to be perfectly frank, as I sit here blather around talking to you guys, right? I'm just bullshitting. It's, what, Sunday, Monday, whatever day it is I release this. And, um, and I'm not here to, to bullshit you. Here's the reality. I cannot be objective about Fright Night. <laughs> I can't be objective about a movie that I clearly love and clearly am, my judgment is compromised by many things. The nostalgia of when I saw it, the circumstances of it being a birthday with a bunch of friends, having a good time, thinking back on a responsibility-free time in my life, right? That's going to play a major factor as I connect this movie to those feelings, uh, of course, the genre, which is vampires, which I love, and I really dug this movie. It, I saw it at a great time. I was like, wow, a, a real kind of classic vampire movie. I like this a lot. And um, and I really like the performances. This Chris Sarandon, I love, man. I think this guy is great. Um, I, I, I feel like I need to go into a Chris Sarandon rabbit hole. I think he's a really good actor. I guess I was reading about Sarandon. I guess he's been nominated for uh, an Academy Award, uh, which is pretty awesome. And and not surprising, to be perfectly honest with you. He is really good. And uh, he's old, but he's still he's still on. Like, he was, he's, he's, was just on something recently, which uh, let me actually pop over to his IMDb page. Chris Sarandon, here we go. Born in 1942. 
and uh, just did a TV series documentary called, called American Masters in 2017. He was in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles TV series, I guess, probably as a voice actor since he was playing Count Dracula. That's hilarious. He was in Orange is the New Black um, as uh, Kip Carn- Carnigan. Kip Carnigan, there it is. Uh, I Smile Back, 2015, 2014, going all the way back, all the way back to 1985, when he was a scant 43, which is kind of nuts to think about. Now, most people know Sarandon for his role in Princess Bride as Prince Humperdinck, right? Of course, the the great villain, Prince Humperdinck, played by, by Chris Sarandon. Most people know him from that role. But he was also in Child's Play, um, I believe his nomination was for his role in Dog Day Afternoon. I believe he got a the Best Supporting Actor nod in that um, with Pacino, right? I think that's where he got it. But yeah, Child's Play, Princess Bride, Dog Day Afternoon. Of course, Fright Night, which is what we're talking about now. But <clears throat> it's weird to think about that this guy was a year older than me all the way back in 1985. And he still looks fucking great. Uh, and he's still working hard. And he should be applauded for that. Now, I know they remade this with uh, the Irish fellow there. What the hell is his name? <laughs> Jesus Christ. My memory is such... Da- My memory, by the way, is so bad because I think about so many other things that I purge everything. I, I purge so much shit out of my mind that I just don't bother to keep information in there. It's really alarming, to be honest with you. Um, but Colin, Colin, uh, Colin Irish, we're going to call him... <laughs> Jesus Christ, he's in Drew Detective Farrell. Colin Farrell, yeah, that's it. Um, and Anton Yelchin, RIP, buddy. Tragically died in his driveway, crazy. But um, yeah, Colin Farrell. I haven't actually seen the remake, so I'm wondering if it's any good. But I couldn't tell you. But this movie, it's unbelievable. Why? Well, first of all, the music is great. Um it has a very traditional vampire feel, and it gets to the action really quickly. It starts off. Uh, there's this real meta thing where we see him with the we, we see the main character with the with the girlfriend. So let me give you some names here. Your main character is Charlie Brewster. You're so cool, Brewster, uh, played by William Ragsdale. We have Amanda Bierce playing Amy Peterson. We have Roddy McDowell. How about that? Playing Peter Vincent. Vampire killer. And then you have Stephen Jeffries playing Evil Ed. So that's your main cast, right? You're working with three, four, five, six guys, which is pretty awesome. Um, and then, of course, uh, what the hell is his name? The the He's got a sidekick. The main vampire guy has a sidekick. What the hell is his name? Billy? Billy Cole or some shit? Yeah, Billy. But um, he's like a ghoul that guards his master by day. But it starts off in very traditional 1980s fashion. And that's something I love about this picture. It starts off with him hanging out with the girl. And she, you know, it's, it's, it's funny looking back on this high school sex shit. It's like, oh, Amy, we've been together for so long. I just want to bone you. And then uh, she's like, okay, no, no. And then, and then, and then, you know, she's like, get your hands off me. And then she's like, all right, let's do it now. I'm ready. I'm brave now. But of course he's distracted because he has a new, he has a new neighbor. And of course that neighbor is Jerry Dandridge, the great and powerful vampire. And of course this is all very meta because on the television is Peter Vincent's show Fright Night where he's a vampire killer or hunter, I guess you would say. And, uh, 
And Charlie becomes too distracted by his neighbor's odd moving behavior at night. And um, he's immediately, uh, immediately he is concerned that uh, something weird has happened. He's, uh, there's this girl that goes missing. And of course, uh, Brewster links it back to the vampire. And he's like, I think my vampire, I think my neighbor is a vampire. And that's really the setup. I think my neighbor is a vampire, which is great, right? That's 80s fun at its best. My, my neighbor is a vampire. And it's cool. Like, it's not just cheesy. And I think that's what's important about why I think Friday Night is so awesome. It's because it is a cool movie. The vampire is cool. Chris Sarandon is really a cool customer. He's very sensual, very charming. He's got like a sexual magnetism about him that makes him a compelling vampire. And, uh, of course, he does classic vampire shit, right? He, uh, he he meets the mom, right? So you're wondering, is this vampire going to try to bang my mom? What's going on here? And, uh, of course, he, he charms the, the, the high school girl, which, of course, is really weird. But he's a vampire, so whatever. We'll just pretend that that's not abnormal, I guess. I don't know. And um, it's cool. It's not just... It's weird because in this movie, you almost feel like Jerry Dandridge, the vampire, doesn't really want to bring harm to Brewster, to Charlie Brewster. He just wants to go about his undead existence and be left alone. And Charlie, being the crusader, being the very, you'd say, lawful good character, is really, really pushing the issue because Jerry's largely ready to leave it alone. He's ready to leave Charlie alone. He's ready to leave everybody alone and just go about and just let Charlie live, even though Charlie has suspicions rooted in good and rooted in very good observations, which is carrying out a trash bag at night, which is probably a body. We saw you carrying a coffin into the house. That's pretty weird. We saw a girl that was missing get dropped off in a cab and she thought she was at the right house when she talked to you and she wasn't, she goes missing. This is all very good evidence to support a case against Jerry Dandridge. And Jerry, rather than just slaughtering Brewster, he plays it cool. He decides that he doesn't want to just kill the kid that he's certain is suspicious of him because he's not sloppy. It's not a complete and utter evilness. Now he's evil. Don't get me wrong. He's a vampire, right? He's a bad guy. But he isn't just, it's not 30 days of night, we're going to rip your whole family apart kind of shit, right? It's not Lost Boys, we're going to ride up on motorcycles and intimidate you and, and you know, go into your house and shit. It's, it's a lot more subtle. It's a lot more slick. And as a result of that, it, it, it creates a unique tension that is what, in my opinion, makes a good vampire movie. When the tension comes not from an immediate physical threat, but from the implied conflict, right? So what I mean by that is there's a couple of scenes that stand out in this movie. Jesus Christ, I could talk about this movie all night, which is going to be a problem, so I'm going to have to rein this in. But the, 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 implied, the implied threat of this moment where... We know Jerry Dandridge has seen Charlie Bruce, has seen Charlie Brewster looking in his window at, at him getting intimate with a woman and then biting her in blood. And he knows that Charlie witnessed all this. So what happens? Charlie ends up coming downstairs one evening and his mom says, oh, 
here's the new neighbor, Jerry Dandridge, right? And it's this just really cool moment where the music kicks in and he's like, hi, Charlie. Right. And, and, and Charlie reacts. He's like, why, why did you, why did you ask him over? And, and Jerry Dandridge does the really, it's cute. Like Jerry and Charlie are having a conversation that the mother, that Charlie's mother just isn't getting. And he's like, of course, you don't think I'd ever come over uninvited, do you, Charlie? Right. It's great. It's classic vampire shit. And uh, I like that. I like the implied threat. I like the tension being ratcheted up as a result of this encounter. We know what it means as the audience, right? We're sitting there with our popcorn, with our toesies under the blanket, right? Cat and dog at our feet or whatever. We know what's going on here because we know Jerry Dandridge is a vampire. And we know Charlie knows. And we know mom doesn't know. And we know that they both know about each other, right? Jerry knows that Charlie knows. Charlie knows that Jerry knows. It's great. So it, it, it's, a, it's a really cool moment of excellent tension. And he just wants to intimidate Charlie. And that's what's awesome about it. He's like, oh, no, no. I'm just going to intimidate the boy. And, and, you know, this goes on and on, this kind of stuff. There, now, of course, there is outward physical, physical threats at certain points. He, he enters the house after this. He strangles Charlie. He goes into his room. Cool, uh, subtle hints at how awesome his undead strength is. Uh, there's a moment in the, in, the, in the early part of the film where Jerry pulls the door shut and you just hear it creaking and cracking and then the door frame just kind of caves in from his strength and he's just, he's just pulling the door shut and locking mom in her room so she can't come out as he terrorizes charlie quietly enough to not give himself away of course right and uh he just shows up in charlie's room and he tells him you know it's essentially he's essentially just saying without saying let it go you know i don't want to kill you you idiot I could kill you so easily. Why are you why are you putting me in this position? Just let it go. And this is where the really cool, you know, as as somebody, let me let me pause that thought and, and just jump on this thought instead. As somebody who loves uh I guess you could say moral relativism in film and in television especially, things like Game of Thrones, one season you like this character, one season you don't like this character. Two seasons later, you like that character again. Three episodes after that, you wish that character was dead, right? That's awesome. That's the kind of stuff we like. We like people being real with real motivations and real insecurities. Now, in this film, it's very clear cut good and evil where when it comes to Jerry Dandridge versus Charlie Brewster. There's a clear good guy and bad guy here. And Charlie, this young, innocent high school boy, is the innocent kid, but he's so good, right? He's lawful good for you D&D nerds. He's a fucking lawful good character, no question about it, right? He's there, and he's not going to let this go. He's not going to let it go, even though he knows. He knows that you would say, uh, to, to use a cute term, you'd say the monopoly of force resides with Jerry Dandridge. He's an ancient vampire. He's demonstrated many powers uh, throughout the film. He can transform, in, transform into a bat. He can appear as a mist. He can vanish. He can appear. He is very, very strong. He's incredibly charming. He has that whole vampire magnetism thing, which is displayed in this movie probably in one of the best ways it's ever been shown in any movie ever. And that's not an overstatement. That's not an overstatement. And we'll get back to that in just a second. 
even though I know I'm, I'm, I know I'm cutting into time. I'm 20 minutes in, Jesus Christ. I got 10 minutes left. So, um, so yeah, I guess that's my point. I'm highlighting the very good and evil. So my point is that Charlie has a vampire in his bedroom. He has his mom locked in her bedroom and he still resists Jerry Dandridge as much as he can and he still won't let it go right? We see throughout the movie him sharpening stakes. They want to get Peter Vincent, the vampire hunter, involved. And Peter Vincent's like, it's a TV show, man. Like, this isn't real. What are you talking about? To the point where they stage this whole thing, they call Jerry Dandridge. Because again, Jerry doesn't want to just kill Charlie. He wants to go about his life quietly, as a smart vampire would. Not not like Stephen Dorff does in Blade, right? He doesn't want to take over the world and become a vampire god and kill all the people, right? Because then what do you have left to eat? Jerry Dandridge is a little bit more wise in his hundreds and hundreds of years. We, we learn about his age in the sequel, but we won't get into that. So, so he, Jerry wants to live under the radar. He wants to be smart. He wants to just eke out his undead existence, picking off little stragglers here and there, not slaughtering whole houses of people especially people that are his neighbors. <laughs> you can't do that, right? And Charlie just won't have it. And he's he's resistant. He wants to fight. He wants to... Jerry Dandridge is a vampire. He tells his mother. He tells his girlfriend, Amy. He tells his friend, Evil Ed, who's incredible, by the way. Kid's hilarious. Evil Ed's like that that weirdo monster kid that probably had spiders and shit when he was a kid. He's probably the kid that had, an, oh, I got a tarantula and a scorpion and a snake. Like, that's my pets. He's that guy. That's evil Ed. And uh, Charlie goes to him, what do I, he's a vampire. What do I do? And Charlie, he's like, all right, here's what you must do. And he's pretending to make it all serious, but he, he just laughs it off because, of course, he doesn't believe it. So the, the, the tongue-in-cheek humor of the movie, which is awesome, is that they address vampires as something that exists, right? So often movies won't do that. They won't, they, they won't, like in The Walking Dead, one of my biggest frustrations about it was they never sat down and said, could these be zombies like in those other movies? Like they pretended like it was the first instance of that creature ever in the intellectual property, which is dumb. And in this, they don't. They go right to the classic vampire rules. Evil Ed dumps them on Charlie. Charlie's like, all right. But Evil Ed doesn't believe it. And that's the tongue in cheek humor. Evil Ed, this guy who you'd think would believe him, doesn't, even though he's probably into Fangoria and he's got tarantulas and this and that and he's called evil uh, and he's really quirky, you'd think he'd be the first one to believe his buddy, but he doesn't, of course, because that's not super realistic. And I love that. Anyway, they uh, one of the standout scenes in the in the film is when they they convince they can, they, they convince Peter Vincent, this actor to to do a display and they in in what charlie doesn't know is all his friends and peter call jerry and they say like we're gonna set up a meet i'm gonna give you fake holy water we're gonna pretend can we just set this kid's mind at ease which is a great opportunity for jerry right he can clear his name his friends can can jerry's hoping all of his all of charlie's friends can convince him that he's not a vampire and just move on with their lives i like it that's what I mean. This is a vampire movie. This is the kind of conflict. It's not just we've tracked him to his lair and we're going to bang a stake through his heart. That's cool, but that's what you do at the end of the movie. All this other stuff is very unique. It's a very unique take on, on vampires. And, and maybe not super unique, but how about this? Well executed. And that's something I like about it so much. It's just a well executed thing. And uh, I love it for that. In this, in this, anyway, in this standout scene in this movie, <laughs> this, this, this great moment, great moment where 
they are they they're they're convinced and Charles is like oh, but, I, but I'm, I'm sure he's a vampire and they're like he's not he, he drank the holy water he did this he did that and then uh peter vincent has this mirror in a, i guess the cigarette case or something i don't know what it is but he he realizes dandridge doesn't have a he realizes that jerry dandridge doesn't have a reflection and it's this great moment of fear out of uh out of uh um Peter Vincent, right? His character, well, of course, Roddy McDowell, the actor, he, this moment of terror on his face and he drops it and then he picks it up and he's like, all right, we have to go. Thank you so much, Mr. Dandridge. Thank you. You've been more than kind. Yes, great, great, great. Yes, great. Not a vampire. Ha <laughs> ha, chop, chop. Out we go, kids. And because he, he, now he knows Jerry's a vampire and, uh, and Jerry's like, hmm, he's acting weird. And then Jerry finds a piece of the broken mirror on the ground and you're like, oh, fuck. Now he knows that they know. So again, it's more of this, he knows that they know that he knows that they know kind of shit going on. And just, again, the tension of that scene, the way it, the way it comes out, it's just fucking cool. It's fun. It's got an innocence to it that you just love. You want to tossle its hair. It's, and it's just earnest, fun filmmaking. Um, with cool tension as well. You know, that moment where he just doesn't see the reflection, you're like, oh shit, what's about to go down here? How's this going to pan out? <laughs> it's just great. But um, yeah, man, it's, it is, uh, uh, that's why I, I like this movie so much for those moments. And then when they finally get the friends on board and then it becomes kind of this monster hunt right at the end. But before that, I, I did say this, this vampire magnetism thing, this vampire aura of, of this, this vampire hypnosis uh, is done really well. Obviously, I know they do it really well in the black and white. Bella Lugosi literally puts the hand up, I command you, that kind of shit. But this is more subtle. It's it's this great dance club scene where they're hiding out and Jerry Dandridge walks onto the dance floor and Amy sees him. Amy, of course, Charlie's girlfriend, sees him and just is like, boom in trance and she just starts walking towards him and there's this cool moment as dandridge walks through the dance floor it's very you know it reminds me of (laughs) it's like a less killy version of terminator as the terminator walks across the dance floor looking for sarah connor right and in the music's playing and shit (laughs) you got me burning i think it was the song in terminator (laughs) one but it's this moment where as Jerry Dandridge walks across the floor, like you just see like a hand reach up and caress his face, a hand brushes across his chest as as he just has this effect on people as he walks through the crowd. And then he draws Amy to him and then they have kind of a weirdo dance number, but it works, you know, it works because it's the 80s uh, and it's and it's just the seduction, the, the, the uh, I guess you'd say the supernatural magnetism that is Jerry Dandridge. And as Chris Sarandon is a good looking dude, it helps, right? It helps with that whole, that whole persona. And I just thought that was something done very well, this this hypnotic creature walking across the dance floor, this ancient old killing machine that also has this weird effect on people, uh, which is one of the fascinating things about the vampire creature in our mythos. But very cool scene, I guess is my point. And of course, eventually this leads to all kinds of other shit without going off on the entire plot too late. Um, but all that stuff I just talked about, that's what makes it so enjoyable. That's what makes it such a fun movie to watch. 
uh, something just so entertaining that they hit on so many of the good vampire bullets, right? If, if you were to put up a whiteboard and say, man, I want to make a classic vampire move. Now, in 1985, so you got to remember, that's many, 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 many years ago, okay? 30, 33 years ago? Does my, does my math serve on that? So you got to think about that. 33 years ago, because there's been a lot of vampire shit between now and then. I mean, True Blood is a great example of great vampire shit. There, there's another, there's another uh, show that gets a lot of vampire shit right is True Blood, and it's solid for several seasons. So I highly recommend it if you have HBO. Just binge the first season. It's great. But, um, but if you were to take a whiteboard and just say, let's, let's do classic vampire movie. We want to beset it against high school kids, which Matt and I talked a lot about why horror movies target high school kids because of their powerlessness, essentially, is what, we came, what it came down to for us. Uh, their powerlessness heightens the uh, tension, heightens the fear. Um, they don't have the adult world at their disposal. It makes it a little more scary. Uh, but you would, you would on, the, on the whiteboard, you would find many things in Fright Night on that whiteboard for if you wanted to make a classic, just fun, awesome vampire tale. Awesome. Just cool powers. And that's what I mean. It's the 80s had a, had a 80s horror especially, had a very, <laughs> had a way of gore about it. It was easy just to hack and slash people up and make it scary and fucking rip people apart and disembowel people. That, that was easy to do. Right, that was fun to do in film because you'd have your filmmakers and you'd be like, "Oh, let's let's get raw boutine and make this crazy, gory, crazy shit." But Jerry Dandridge isn't like that at all. It's it's very cool. It's very subtle the way it goes about it. Again, there's a couple of goofy things in the last thirty minutes there with the silly bat, but for the most part, you're getting real slick vampire shit. So if you like vampire movies. If you like 80s movies, right? If you like Halloween, it's that time of year. I'm going to direct your attention to Fright Night. Um, it's a little campy. Sure, it's supposed to be. It's an 85, a movie from 1985. It's definitely a little bit campy, but it's super fun and it's worth it. It's worth it for Sarandon alone. And then and then Roddy McDowell's great too. The, the whole cast is, is, is works. The whole cast works. But Sarandon and McDowell stand out light years beyond everyone else. Um, and it's worth it for them too alone. Obviously, Roddy McDowell has been in so many movies from back in the days and Planet of the Apes, of course. But um, I would highly recommend it. So there you go. That's that's my long, uninterrupted 30-minute rant, <laughs> rave in this case, about Fright Night. Um, I highly recommend you check it out. I really dig this movie, and uh, it's a ton of fun. And just to give you guys a little taste of the 80s goodness here, why don't we... Um, why don't we? Why don't we do a little? Uh, let's let's do some of that music. Let's do the the seduction scene here that that Charlie witnesses when he realizes Jerry's a vampire. Uh oh, here we go. So this is the moment in the movie where Charlie looks out his window, sees a beautiful, sexy girl taking her top off, with Dandridge behind her, and then he realizes she's a vampire.
music's the shit, right? It's so fucking 80s. But it's so awesome. Yeah, he's about to he's about to bite the girl and he sees he sees Charlie looking at him, so he pulls the shade down and his hand has like these creepy claws on him. Oh, it's so sick. Anyway, check it out. It's awesome. <laughs> Fright Night kicks ass. There you go. Love it. That's it. Love that movie. Okay, so next week, what am I going to do? Next time, what am I going to do? In fact, let me pull up my calendar because uh, sometimes doing these weekly can be tough. I got a lot of shit going on right now. So it's Sunday the 20th. I'm recording this. I'm going to release it on the same day. So I'm, I'll be back on uh, November 6th. That's going to be my goal to, uh, on November 6th, get the next one out. And I'm going to write it down right now on the calendar as I'm talking to you guys live. Uh, there we go. And I think what I'm going to do, uh, even though it'll be a week past Halloween, I'm going to keep it in the same vein of scary. And I'm going to go back to doing new, something new, newish. And I'm going to do A Quiet Place. Yeah. Now, I have seen A Quiet Place one time. I will absolutely watch it again. I will rent it. Now, this is the part of the Real Quick Podcast where I typically will play for you <laughs> this is the part where I will play for you the trailer. But if you know anything about Quiet Place, you know that the trailer doesn't have, it doesn't say anything, right? So the fact that it says nothing makes playing it kind of a moot point. It'll just be music and it'll be, uh, you know, subtitles coming up saying, it is a, you must be quiet. Any sound can kill you. But there's none of that in this. It's just silence. The trailer is so quiet. So I was watching the trailer for a quiet place. I'm like, well, I, I can't do my trailer link into the next episode. It's just not going to work, sadly. So I have to tell you that there's not going to be a trailer for quiet place because there's nothing. It tells you nothing. It's just creepy music. And that's it. It's not as cool as that fucking Friday night music. I can tell you that much. But, um, so yeah, sorry guys, no, no trailer for quiet place, but that's what I'm going to be doing next. And you will see that, um, all things, uh, assuming nothing changes between now and then you'll see that in your feed on November 6th. All right. Thank you guys very much. Hope you have a wonderful Halloween and remember to, uh, follow us on Twitter. If you go to, if you follow at LSG media on Twitter, you're going to get an update. And we also got this really cool, um, I went through and picked out all the horror movies we've covered on the Science Fiction Film Podcast, and there's quite a few, plenty of Halloween spirit movies in there. You should go over to Twitter and check out that list because uh, we've been tweeting it out and I retweeted it. I'm Dean underscore LSG Media, or you can just follow at LSG Media, and you'll get the episode titles of all the ones we've done. But if you haven't subscribed to that show yet, you definitely should do that. That's uh, that's our flagship show. That's where we do uh, most of our work over there. This is just my fun side project to keep my solo chop sharp, baby. All right. I am going to get out of here. Thank you guys very much. I'll catch you on the flip side. memory of the first time. I was attending my niece's wedding and was at the sink in the men's room when a wet spot on the front of my trousers caught my eye. An unwelcome contribution from my bladder. Fortunately, I was wearing black and with my jacket buttoned, no one would be the wiser anyway, but for me, 
I knew it was time to see a urologist. Want to laugh during life's most embarrassing moments? LSG can help. Go to libertystreetgeek.net. Podcasters will give you a reason to wet yourself.